This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. In a trendy corner of Toronto, there's a mobile phone company that's starting to generate a bit of buzz. At Ting, there are no contracts. It's month to month. Cancel any time. You pay only for what you use. No overage penalties, credit for unused minutes, multiple devices on one plan. And Ting says its customers save significantly, you know, think in the 50, 60, 70 percent range on their cell phone bill. There is a catch. Ting, which is based in Canada, isn't available in Canada. Ting doesn't own its own cell network. It buys network access from a telecom company at a wholesale price and then sells that access to its subscribers. In the U.S., Ting pays Sprint to use its mobile network. But here in Canada, Ting says none of Bell, Rogers or Telus will play ball. The long-awaited CRTC review into wireless services kicks off this week with a hearing that is set to run until the end of February. Virtually every key stakeholder, the big carriers, regional carriers, independent carriers, consumer groups, and many others, will make their way to Gatineau to set out their vision for the future of wireless services in Canada. In case you haven't been paying attention, both the government and the CRTC have indicated support for measures to bring in greater competition in the form of Mobile Virtual Network Operators, or MVNOs. That has sparked a return to the usual playbook from the big carriers, leading to an avalanche of advertising and op-eds, arguing that the Canadian market is perfectly competitive and concerns about consumer costs overstated. Elliot Noss is the CEO of Two Cows, which owns Ting, one of those MVNOs. The company has carved out a niche in the U.S. market, where it is known for innovative pricing models. Yet while based in downtown Toronto, it does not offer MVNO service in Canada as the big carriers won't play ball. I sat down with Elliot in advance of the CRTC hearing to discuss the state of the Canadian wireless market, the role of MVNOs, and what he thinks needs to happen in Canada. Elliot, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. We're recording this uh, several days before the CRTC hearing is about to begin into wireless and MVNOs, but this this will drop on the day that the proceeding begins. And you know, I, I gave some thought as to, to who best to bring on or ask to, to talk about some of these issues. There's obviously lots of regulatory lawyers out there, but um, I, it, it's particularly interesting to have someone who is actually operating in this space, though not in Canada, to be able to provide a bit of a perspective about what this kind of competition means, uh, what it's like operating, and then why you're not operating in Canada. So, so why don't we start with uh, what is or what are MVNOs? What is Ting? And a bit about what you, you've been involved with. Sure. So um, MVNOs. MVNO stands for Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Uh, You want to think about this as simply somebody who resells uh, the bandwidth of the MNOs or the Mobile Network Operators, so uh, Robulus here in Canada. Um, Which would be Rogers, Bell, and Telus. Rogers, Bell, and Telus, yes. And um, we do have in Canada a, a resale market for fixed internet, but not for mobile. Um, we, uh, Two Cows, 
have been operating as an MVNO in the U.S. since 2011, uh, late 2011. And uh, we've been quite successful there, very well thought of. Um, there are probably at the start, you know, it's important to understand, well, here's a regulatory hearing. Uh, we're not in Canada. You mentioned that we're in the U.S. and, and, and not here. Uh, there are some markets, the U.S. being one of them, where uh, there are MVNOs simply by nature of the structure of the market and the competitive landscape. In most countries around the world, uh, MVNOs are, are regulated creatures. Okay, let's unpack a few of the things that you that, that you've just talked about. So we've got the the large operators, the Bells, the Rogers, and the Telluses of the world. Um, and they obviously have very large residential services out there. The, the vision here is that at a wholesale level, providers, potentially such as yourself or others, might be able to buy access and then effectively resell or sell directly to other residential customers, but riding on or using some of that, some of their network for a fee. Uh, that's right. And um, that... Uh, look, you have to start, particularly when thinking about MVNO in Canada, with uh, you know the 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 fact that we have by far the most expensive mobile phone service in the world. Uh, a not that close second is the U.S., and then it's way back from there. You know, of course, there might be some very small countries or. Uh, dictatorial structures uh, that are kind of way off the beaten path where there are uh, uh, fees that are comparable but what Canadians pay in mobile phone service on a global level is really just heinous and so uh, the number one reason why MVNOs have been regulated in many countries around the world is simply to provide consumers with m more fair pricing. Okay so where you've got some dominant providers in the marketplace, unsurprisingly, prices are high. You mentioned that there is at this stage little debate as to whether or not Canadian prices are high. I think they're now widely recognized. Oh, well, I, as I being, think the incumbents debate it, but there's little argument. There is. Well, even there, some of the incumbents now will say prices have been coming down or that you get what you pay for. The networks are really good compared uh, to other or, networks. Or my favorite, boy, Canada's different. It's so big. <laughs> You know, without really thinking about Australia and other parallels like that. Fair enough. So we've heard many of these arguments yes. for a long time. The virtually all the the studies that are out there point to the pricing, and so it's not surprising that lowering those pricing through new kinds of competition isn't something that these these providers uh, are going to be in favor of. What's different in the United States, I suppose, as a starting point to better understand what your operations look like here? If I'm a, a Ting customer in the United States. What does that mean? Uh, so if you're a TIN customer in the United States, uh, you would be getting uh, service from us. It's TING branded service. Uh, you would go to the TING.com website. You would obtain the service. You would then be using a SIM that would either have you on the Sprint or T-Mobile or now Verizon networks. Um, and you would be getting pretty much an identical service just at a, at a phone service level you know the the connection of the call or the speed of the data uh, what you would also be getting is fundamentally different 
pricing at a structural level and you'd be getting a much higher level of customer service. So uh, what you see with MBNOs around the world, uh, certainly with us, is you see more differentiation, uh, people can address niches, uh, people can address different pricing structures, and uh, just uh, provide a cleaner, better, higher level of service. Okay, so from a customer perspective, there are more options, and as you say, sometimes there might be MVNOs that would be targeting a particular segment of the marketplace that is ignored or isn't particularly catered to by some of the larger players. Sometimes there might be different ways of pricing, and I know that Ting has a has a different approach in terms of right. the kind of pricing people yep. face in terms of pay for what you use as opposed yep. to some of the monthly fees that people are more accustomed to. I guess that you mentioned that there isn't a regulatory structure that's given you the ability to use the networks that you've just mentioned, some of the largest networks in the United States. So how is it that you're able to do that? Yeah, so in the U.S. in particular, you had a market structure where it was a 30-30, 15-15 market. You had AT&T and Verizon as the, the, the two bigger players, you know, 30 plus, and then you had Sprint and T-Mobile kind of in the mid to high teens. Uh, so you had a competitive dynamic. In addition, you had Sprint as a company that had a lot of excess capacity, needed cash, and probably most importantly, had a corporate history as a wholesaler. So they had a big wholesale business in their fixed internet business. And so they always had a, a kind of a, a, a bit of a wholesale bent to them. In addition, uh, a lot of what they were doing uh, with Clearwire, I don't know if you remember Clear, uh, not Clearwire, sorry, Clear, uh, this was this was uh, uh, going to be a big joint venture. At one point, I think it had Google and a couple of the cable companies, and um, uh, that was also going to be a big wholesale place. So there was always this bit of wholesale backdrop. So Sprint, in particular, really um, uh, uh, did a lot of MVNO in the U.S., and uh, then a couple of the others copied them. So Sprint, so so did Ting start with Sprint? And we started with Sprint. That's right. We started with Sprint. Uh, we're on Sprint alone for uh, roughly three years. Uh, at the first hint of, uh, you may remember in 2014, there was a Sprint T-Mobile merger go round that actually got, you know, pushed back out, and we tried to. Uh, uh, make sure we weren't going to get left on the outside, so we added T-Mobile at that point. And, um, you know, now uh, where the market has evolved, um, uh, Sprint always had Boost and Virgin, AT&T bought Cricket, T-Mobile bought Metro PCS, Verizon was kind of left as the arms merchant, and so they've recently, you know, kind of, in the when I say recently, last few years, kind of gone a little harder at the MVNO business. So really all of them have an MVNO branch. So they've got a branch, and that's interesting that they're willing to do that. They, you know, here there's a fear of that competition. You have you have a thought as to why in the United States, they're they're willing to enter into these deals and sure. have that comp uh, competition in the marketplace. You 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 know you you avoid competition unless you have to compete. And again, that market structure created a competitive dynamic. Uh, you then had the flanker brands that were actually meaningfully competing. You know, a lot of the growth that AT&T and T-Mobile have had over the last probably three, four years have come from uh, Cricket and Metro PCS, which means the same thing in a different label at a much lower price. 
And so you had that competition already baked into the market. In the Canadian market, where you have no effective competition, you know, of course the incumbents don't want it. You know, I, I think if, if, uh, if the incumbents in the U.S. had a choice and weren't competitively driven to it, they probably wouldn't want it either. Right. And so I guess it does beg the question, you, you were able to establish the business in, in the United States. We're sitting here recording this in Toronto. Uh, I'm going to assume that there was a desire, if possible, to enter into the Canadian marketplace, but the, the large players just don't want to play, at least on a, co a commercial, voluntary commercial basis? That's right. Uh, two of the three have turned us down in the past, um, uh, fairly summarily. Uh, we certainly have participated in some of the previous uh, uh, policy processes around MVNO, which were failed. and. Uh, you know, we, boy, I think the first story on the Canadian MVNO that can only sell in the States was a CBC piece in 2013 or so. So, yeah, this, the, that, that kind of flavor has been around. I mean, look, we're, it's a home game for us here. We would, it, it uh, <laughs> if for no other reason than to lower my own <laughs> incredibly overpriced <laughs> cell phone bill, we would want to be uh, offering service here. That's funny. Now, you mentioned the flanker brands in the United States. Now, we obviously have flanker brands here in Canada as well from the big providers. I take it you don't think that's sufficient in this marketplace? It's, it's really nothing. There, there, there's very little additional competition from the uh, flanker brands here. I mean, it's not really competition. It's a slightly different flavor, maybe a slightly reduced price, but usually with a slightly reduced offering too. Okay. Now, there's there's been mixed claims in the lead up to this hearing around certainly the state of wireless competition in Canada, and you've, you've already made your views emphatically clear about that. Uh, we also got a fair amount of discussion, though, of course, about um, what the impact of mandated MVNOs. Were the CRTC to step in and essentially regulate the space by requiring these large providers to offer up MVNOs, offer up service to MVNOs, uh, essentially create a regulated, regulated level of competition. Obviously, supporters say that will create more competition, invariably improve service and reduce prices. The large incumbents say, especially at a time when they're thinking about 5G investments, they claim this is going to reduce investment. What do you say? Uh, look, I think we saw all of those claims made identically around fixed internet, where we do have mandated resale. Uh, I'll note that man mandated resale of fixed internet was first uh, passed in 1996, and I believe, if I'm you know, if I recall correctly, the first uh, actual selling in the market was 2012. So the incumbents did a marvelous 16-year stall on just getting agreement around prices uh, and around offerings. Um, you know, we have seen competition in fixed internet, but more importantly, to your point, Michael, what we have not seen is reduced investment. You are in a market where, um, particularly in the major cities, the, the coax providers are competing hard with the copper providers. The copper providers have gone out and spent billions and billions of dollars on fiber to try and keep up and then jump ahead. We have seen no cutting back there. And I think that, you know, we, 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 we hear this threat from incumbents whenever there is a, a, a 
sort of a uh, any sort of challenge to these excessive monopoly rents. Um, Michael, very importantly, in Canada, telecom demonstrably, inarguably, incredibly profitable. What you see is Canadian telecoms buying up now most of the broadcast assets in the country. Uh, I know that when I was watching the uh, Raptors championship celebration, the people I saw out there getting rings were the leaders from Rogers and Bell. Uh, you know, if the Maple Leafs one day <laughs> were uh, lucky enough to win a Stanley Cup, you'd see the same thing. These massive excess economic rents are getting taken out of telecom and invested in all sorts of peripheral uh, investments. Okay, so there's a sense almost of uh, never cry wolf here. They've, they've cried wolf many, many times on this issue and, and are going back, it sounds like you're saying, to the same playbook when it comes to this MVNO hearing paired at this point in time with increased focus on 5G. Yeah, I, look, you know, I think that, that uh, I'm, I don't think I'm putting out an opinion when I say that investment held firm in fixed internet. I don't think I'm putting out an opinion when I say that telecom in Canada demonstrably has had massive excess profits that have been reinvested well outside of telecom. Those are just facts on the ground. Right. Uh, w one more just to play the, the devil's advocate on the pricing. Um, we There are certainly no shortage of global comparative studies that point to the high prices in Canada. The, the claims that we're seeing right now, though, is that prices have come down relative to where they were a couple of years ago. And I think if you take a look at what's taking place in other jurisdictions, they're coming down there as well. And they're in some instances coming down even faster than they are here. But your thoughts on, on, on the notion that, well, there's nothing here to solve. There's no pro real problem here because don't you see prices are coming down? Yeah, I think, that, I, I mean, it's, it's um, uh, not mine. <laughs> and, and I think that I, I feel like um, there is a study around this, but on the ground, you can't find Canadians who aren't paying ridiculously high amounts for mobile phone service. You know, I'd like to just, uh, you know, blind bet anybody on the other side of this. We can call somebody in Europe at random in the phone book. They can put their phone bill out and I'll bet you that it's less than half of mine or the Canadian person I'm making the bet with. I like that. The, the NOS test for whether or not you're competitive or not. I, I, and I think you're, you're, Let's you're not certainly study not wrong. it. Let's yeah. just look Let's at it. what is. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, you know, my own view is that, you know, Canadians that travel outside the country immediately encounter pricing that they simply don't experience at home. And there's been enough of that that claims about competitive pricing just don't resonate with anyone well, And anymore. it's in countries like Australia, which have very similar population and geography to Canada. And, and, and so a lot of the claims around us being different uh, just go by the boards to me. I, I, I really, you know, at the end of the day, um, I'm really hoping this hearing uh, isn't uh, lots of sound and fury about how things really are great here. Okay. Speaking of the hearing, this is not the first time the CRTC's looked at the MVNO issue. Can you walk us through a little bit the, the history that brought us to this point, and then we can get into what to expect in this round? Well, you know, the last significant hearing on the point was such a disappointment and 
such an existence proof as to what we should not fall into as a trap this time. So uh, the last hearing on this, I think it was around 2014, uh, came out of uh, some of the roaming challenges that Wind Mobile and a couple of the other competitors were having. And through that hearing, there was, uh, you know, I was invited, I, I, um, there was discussion around MVNO, uh, there was lip service paid to the fact that MVNO might be a good idea and could solve a lot of these problems. But what happened at the end of the day, and you can go back and read the report, is you know, the final report walked right up to the line, basically said everything positive about MVNO, everything correct about the problem identification, and then kind of concluded with, well, but we'll give facilities-based competition one more chance. They cut a sweet deal for Wind Mobile coming out of that. Wind Mobile uh, very quickly capitalized on that and sold the business for hundreds of millions of dollars. So what you did was you had the regulators essentially make a decision that benefited a very small group of very wealthy investors instead of helping tens of millions of Canadians with lower mobile phone bills. It was really, um, it, it, you know, if, if ever there was a temptation to lean back into facilities-based competition, go back and look at what happened on the ground in 2014. Yeah, no, I, I recall reading and writing about that decision, which really felt like almost two decisions. You had, as you, as you suggest, this lead up that felt like they were the CRTC was headed in a particular direction and then at the very last moment seemed to stop short. Um, so what's happened now that's, that has led us to the point that the that position and this issue is being revisited yet again? Well, I think you've just seen um, uh, years more of excessive pricing, uh, years more of consumer frustration, and then uh, for the last couple few years, you've seen uh, this become a political issue. I mean, what a motherhood issue. You know, lower phone bills. Every Canadian in the country who doesn't work for a telecom wants that. So that's easy politically. That was, uh, I believe, it was part of the, uh, the last federal election, last two federal election campaigns. Um, now, what's really careful here for me is again going back to that fixed internet decision where you had a decision in 96 and benefit in 2012 you know my fear is that we get the winners here uh, as the politicians and the telecoms so politicians get the win by making a decision and then um, getting to kind of wave it above their heads and show what they've done for everybody uh, and we then have another huge gap between decision and implementation, which gives the telecoms the win of not actually having to do anything. And it's a Canadian tradition. I talked about the fixed internet uh, uh, decision. You know, the skinny TV bundle is another one where the decision was what I think people would have wanted at a competitive level. And what you ended up with is a bundle that included uh, a fish tank and a fireplace in French and English. Okay. That's a true story, Michael. That, that's four channels there, not two. There you go. No, you're certainly true. The frustration with the decision, the unfolding of decisions where 
there's an initial celebration for for those that are into these kinds of issues and then the realization that it is not that that's not the final stage it's only in a sense a way station towards something and the final outcome isn't always yeah. what you think you're going to get and 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 by the way in this uh hearing in particular you know we've been very specific in what we've said uh, it's fine if we want to work out pricing let's work it out but let's work it out with a start point we have a global market for mvno i'm happy to provide whatever data i can subject to the non-confidentiality in my contracts uh, to make these types of decisions easy we can pick a start point and then iterate from there okay let's talk a bit about what you guys would like to see so we've reached the point you provided i guess nice quick history lesson on the prior uh, hearing that the CRTC conducted, the fact that it kind of stopped short, prices continue to be amongst the highest, if not the highest in the world. It's become a political issue. The government has, I think, limited numbers of things that it can do to result in lower pricing, short of actually regulating the pricing itself, which most don't want to do. And so instead, we've seen some real emphasis on MVNO as a form of competition, at least coming from this current government, which it would appear succeeded in encouraging the CRTC to take yet another look. Now, there are any number of different approaches that people are putting forward. I think recognizing that there is some likelihood that the CRTC is at least going to go further than it did the last time, everything from those who, of course, still don't want it to those that say throw the doors open and let MVNOs do everything. Um, where, do you, where do you guys land when you appear before the CRTC? Uh, so uh, there's a couple things I want to uh, tease out here. The first is... Um, you know, let, let me get um, sort of our biases out there or our subjectivity. We're a pretty big company uh, in terms of the companies that are likely to be competing as MVNOs. We generate a lot of cash every year. You know, we have capital to compete. So uh, putting capital barriers in front of competition is not a bad thing for us at a competitive level. We do think that that is absolutely the wrong way uh, to go about things. Perhaps the greatest disappointment with this process so far has been to watch even the number of different parties who are in favor of competition, in favor of MVNO, trying to frame the competition to exactly suit exactly their current competitive position. So if you're uh, 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 maybe an incumbent in an adjacent telecom business, well then the facilities should be all about that. If you're a reseller in fixed internet, well then the facilities should be all about that. There are, there are these, these um, recourse being made to hurdles that have nothing to do with the task at hand, which is better phone service and better phone pricing for Canadian consumers. So uh, we believe that the, the bar to competition should be relatively low and that it should be a relatively simple platform that uh, potential MVNOs can integrate with at a software level. You uh, provision a circuit just like you would uh, any other uh, type of service that you buy online. And uh, there's not a big capital hurdle. You know, the barriers to entry uh, should be about things like uh, being able to provide a service uh, reliably, things like uh, having the proper insurance. Uh, there should, of course, be 
rules around how consumers are treated and standards should be held high in that regard. But uh, so much of what we've seen uh, submitted through this process has really been about these 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 barriers of artifice that that make no sense other than this fits my suit. Okay. Well, I self-interested positions at the CRTC are nothing new quite clearly although now you're suggesting that it's an expanded universe of people putting forward some of these self-interested positions it would seem um, so I so what I take well, I, I'm sorry I, I got to jump in because I, I, you know we would have hoped that more than just us were just offended by the high price of mobile phone service in Canada and just wanted what uh, would be good for Canadians I mean Michael I will tell you right here on this podcast look we're an MVNO in the US. It's 10 times the market. If I could have right now an offer from the CRTC for liberalized MVNO on exactly the terms that we want and we couldn't enter the market, I would take it in a second. Well, that's, that suggests, that, that's saying something in terms of a willingness to engage with that kind of competition. And having had the experience now for a number of years of, of doing it, it, it is striking the number of players that have said, well, we're open to competition, but. And then there's, you know, we've got some who aren't even open to that form of competition. They're the ones that, of course, are engaging in some of the scare tactics about what the implications would be for investment, for 5G and all those sorts of things. Where we have the players who would be the beneficiaries of the marketplace, it feels as if they are already starting to think ahead. OK, well, how will I be successful and what can I, how can I leverage the regulatory environment to give myself a bit of an upper hand? Yeah, that's right. And, and that, that is that is the way we read it. And it's disappointing. Okay. Well, we don't know where the CRTC will come out. There is a sense from the government that even they are not necessarily pushing for all in right from the beginning. Their position, at least as part of their platform, was, well, let's let's try this for a couple of years. And if prices aren't down, then we can really make a full well, go of it. And it, it, are you referring to the Competition Bureau recommendation? No, there? I'm referring because, to the Liberal platform, yeah, which from, talked about from the previous, 25% right, well, reduction yeah. in costs and pricing. If it's yeah. not down by 25%, then let's think about doing something more. Yeah. I, I you know, and I, I, I did want to go to that Competition Bureau submission, which was uh, uh, something along the lines of, oh, let's try it for five years. And, uh, you know, we'll have MVNO for five years and then we'll pull back from it. You know, we, we'll allow people to. I mean, I can tell you, I wouldn't consider spending a nickel on this market if I only had a five year window on it. I mean, it's it, it, that really was was um, that just felt so at odds with just uh, business logic. You know, just right. straightforward business logic. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, I think it is reflective of the pressure to do something about pricing, but not necessarily will, a willingness to jump in to say this is a legitimate form of competition and we should open up the market to accommodate it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's remarkable how prevalent is MVNO is all over the world. You know, this is not um, uh, this is not an exceptional circumstance. You know, most of Europe, the U.S., tons of Latin America, tons of Asia. Uh, there is MVNO all over the world, and the primary reason is always to lower prices for consumers, and we have the most expensive prices in the world. So, I, I mean, the fact that we are just wringing our hands so hard over this is, is uh, it just shouldn't be the case. Sure. So why don't we wrap by 
uh, thinking about where things may be headed. And I'm not going to ask you what you think the CRTC is going to do. Uh, I think there is a general sense that there's enough momentum this time around. It will do something around MVNOs. We've got a government that is clearly supportive of trying to do that as well. So notwithstanding some of the tactics that we've seen from some of the larger players, there, I, I, I don't think anybody really thinks that it's going to be successful in shutting this down altogether. How long, assuming they do something and open this up, how long do you think it takes to, to see the kind of competition that you've been talking about? How long does it take before we see a real impact on pricing in the marketplace? Yeah, um, my um, view informed by some of the history you know, I've talked about is um, I'm uh, moderately hopeful of a positive decision. Uh, I'm not terribly hopeful of actual price relief in a three to five year time frame. Um, you know, I, I would just probably use a, a term like foreseeable future. Certainly, uh, we have investors asking, you know, we're public, uh, we have investors asking us about this. And I say, you know, not in a time frame that you care about. Because, I mean, I really don't think that uh, I, I, what I have, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. I have great respect for uh, incumbent telecoms ability to squeeze every ounce out of these regulatory processes. And um, I, I would be obviously very pleased, but um, uh, surprised to see a uh, quick relief here. Yeah. Okay, just so I wanna make sure that I understand in terms of that five years plus kind of timeline, it's gonna take time. That's a regulatory reflection or a business reflection? So oh, regulatory. No, no, uh, that's, uh, uh, before you know, three it, 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 boy. If I knew that in three years there could be an offering that I could subscribe to as an MVNO to offer to Canadians, uh, that would exceed my expectations. I think, um, you know, I don't want to lower the bar for the CRTC. You know, I'd really love to see um, uh, uh, them uh, just surprise me on the upside here, but very clearly, Michael, boy, the day we can sign up, we the day I can offer service prices come down that happens immediately we will be in market at launch if we can be wow. and and you can buy a, a better cheaper phone service uh that day well i think that's uh that's what a lot of canadians have been waiting for it's encouraging to hear that that there are operators out there who are looking to enter into the marketplace and now just waiting essentially for a regulator to step up to the plate Elliot, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Michael. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.